Welcome into TYT Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence and I am filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. And we have some incredible news for you today. And we also have an amazing co-host guest today. We're talking about Kyla Frank, that's UNPAC National Student Organizing Manager. We are excited to have you here, Kyla. Thank you, excited to be here. Yeah, so first let's turn to some news that is less exciting, although somewhat expected based on what we've seen so far. Turning to Kentucky. The lone Kentucky police officer who was charged in connection with the botched police raid that killed 26 year old Brianna Taylor as she slept in her own home in March 2020. Well, he has been acquitted of all charges. Brett Hankison, a now former Louisville detective, let's put up his picture here. Yes, he had been fired for shooting blindly during the raid that killed Taylor. And when asked during the trial if he did anything wrong at all, well, Hankison said absolutely not. Let's turn to what the AP has to say. So Hankison, 45, has been charged with three counts of wanton endangerment for firing through sliding glass side doors and a window of Taylor's apartment during the raid. Multiple bullets pierced the wall of a neighboring apartment and prosecutors said Hankison endangered the lives of a pregnant woman, her young child and her boyfriend who lived there. Hankison's attorneys never contested the ballistic evidence but said he fired 10 bullets because he thought his fellow officers were being executed. One of those officers, Sergeant John Mattingly, was hit in the leg by a bullet from a handgun fired by Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, who said he thought intruders were breaking in. And apparently the jury here sided with Hankison, believing essentially that he thought his fellow officers were under siege. And this is essentially what we know about the deliberations that just went down yesterday. The panel of eight men and four women delivered its verdict for Brett Hankison about three hours after it took the case following closing arguments from prosecution and defense attorneys. That's right, just three hours of deliberation. That really makes you think whether they fully considered the evidence before them. But also bear in mind that none of the officers involved in killing Taylor were actually charged with her death. Also, Hankison did not fire any of these bullets that killed Taylor. But with his acquittal, essentially what we know is that this likely closes the door for prosecuting the officers involved in the raid at the state level because this Acquittal here was for state charges. There is an ongoing federal investigation right now by DOJ looking into whether this botched raid was a possible civil rights violation when it comes to Taylor's rights. And also whether the police department there in Louisville has bigger problems. That entire department is under investigation by the feds right now. But still, this acquittal here, it seems to leave very little hope for Taylor's loved ones. Let's look at what Taylor's mother did in response to the verdict. So Taylor's mother, Tamika Palmer, and a group of friends and family, they left quickly without commenting after the verdict. Hankison did not appear outside the courtroom after the verdict was read, but his attorney, Stuart Matthews, said that he and Hankison were thrilled and asked what might have swayed the jury. Well, Matthews replied, I think it was absolutely the fact that he was doing his job as a police officer. Doing his job indeed by spraying bullets into homes, knowing there were people living there beyond just the individual that he was going there to execute the warrant for. Yeah, so we have to remember though that this case, it didn't center Taylor at all. And 
with the prosecution's presentation of the evidence, we got to see that. Essentially, what we know is that prosecutors stressed in opening statements that the case wasn't about Taylor's death or the police decision that led to the raid. Jurors were shown a single image of her body, barely discernible at the end of the hallway. Taylor had been setting, settling down for bed when officers arrived at her door. She was shot multiple times in her hallway and she in fact died at the scene. Let's go ahead and take a look at these men who did kill Taylor, the ones whose bullets were responsible for her death. We have Mattingly, pictured on the right, and Officer Miles Cosgrove on the left. Now, neither of these men testified at Hankinson's trial, essentially pleading the Fifth Amendment in light of the ongoing FBI civil rights investigation. But we have to ask ourselves, really, was this verdict shocking? And for a lot of people there in Louisville, it was not shocking at all because we have not seen justice for Breonna Taylor and why we would think it would show up now is beyond us. Let's go ahead and see what the local said. So Siddiqui Reynolds, president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League said the verdict didn't surprise her. Black residents of the city, she explained, had already been experiencing a certain amount of frustration because no officer had been charged for Taylor's death. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher said the verdict added to the frustration and anger of many over the inability to find more accountability for the tragic events of March 13th, 2020. Indeed, it seems that there is no accountability, especially when it comes to these officers. Kyla. My heart and condolences go out to Brianna Taylor's family and the state sanctioned suffering they had to endure. And like you said before, there are no systems in place to hold people like these, these cops accountable. They continue to turn a blind eye to the misconduct and criminal behavior in these institutions and therefore endorse this violence. Like you said before, he said, I think it was absolutely the fact that he was doing his job as a police officer, killing people, shooting into their houses. This isn't a system that can be reformed. And why? Because even with the ban for no-knock warrants that was signed by Kentucky Governor Bashir, there is um, there still permits no-knock warrants. In the case of whether the person is going to be convicted for um, a violent offense or if the cops think their lives are in danger. And we know that cops lie and abuse their power all the time. And so this isn't a reform, it's a timer until we have another unfortunate and devastating case like Breonna Taylor's. And unfortunately, the citizens of that city will not be surprised when it happens. Yes, and I think that a lot of us out there, we continue to see instances where justice is essentially evaded. And the thing that really resonates with me is the fact that we have black women being murdered by police. We have black women who suddenly are up and dying like Sandra Bland. And there is not that full investigation and that prosecution for these lives. And we are seeing somewhat of a change, which is good when it comes to black men who die at the hands of law enforcement. But at the same time, what about black women? The fact is that black women continue to be the most disrespected members of society. And the thought that our lives aren't worth essentially warranting getting justice for the taking of our lives. It continues to be echoed every day when we don't have justice for Breonna Taylor, when we don't have justice or any kind of semblance of justice for Sandra Bland, when there is no change whatsoever. And we see this play out in verdicts like this when it wasn't even directly about Breonna Taylor's life, but even this negligent behavior by this officer, it can't even be remedied with a verdict that warrants essentially punishment for this behavior. Any closing words, Kyla? 
Um, it's just, again, like you said before, uh, really hard to be a black woman in America, knowing that there are no systems to protect us, to protect the ones that we've lost and to protect the, all the women who will come after us. And I really hope that this country really takes a long, hard look at this case and does something different. Yeah, we will see. You know, it is in DOJ's hands now. And let's hope that justice is done at the end of the day. But hey, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not. And also when it comes to justice, we can go ahead and look at another situation with a dangerous cop. You remember that former Colorado officer essentially shown on body cam footage violently arresting and injuring that 73 year old woman with dementia and then essentially later joking about it. If you don't remember, let's go ahead and play that video to jog your memory. Ma'am, please stop. You want to stop with lights on, siren? Stop. You just left Walmart. Do you need to be arrested right now? No, no, no. Okay. Let's stop. Come on. Come on. I'm going home. No, 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 on the ground. Stay on the ground. On the ground. On the ground. I'm going home. Stop. I'm going hey. home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Are you? I'm going home. No, you're not. The officer that tackled that now 75 year old woman with dementia who was what approximately 100 pounds, that was Officer Austin Hopp. He pushed that woman to the ground, broke her arm, joked about it afterward. The sound of her injury, that's what he was doing with his friends. Well, essentially he was facing a mandatory sentence of 10 to 30 years. And of course, he now got a sweetheart deal, dropping it from two to eight years. That's right. He did resign from the Loveland Police Department after a brief investigation into his case. But you know what, let's talk a little bit about how this sweetheart deal played out. 
So what we do know is that Ha was initially charged with assault, attempting to influence a public servant and official misconduct. After Wednesday's deposition, Austin Hop now faces up to eight years in prison when he's sentenced in May for second degree assault. Although the judge had the discretion to sentence him to probation or a halfway house. He faced a mandatory prison sentence between 10 and 32 years under the original more serious assault count he was charged with. Now, Garner's daughter-in-law, Shannon Stewart, she spoke during the court Wednesday on behalf of the family and said that when they first met with prosecutors last May, they felt the charges were appropriate. This is at the heightened level and they had one request, which is no plea deal. I'm really disappointed that the district attorney would offer a plea, said John Stewart, who is Garner's son last week. Now, caught off guard, shocked, disappointed, definitely. In court, Shannon Stewart said that they felt the deals were typically offered if there wasn't enough evidence, which the family said was overwhelming in this case. Prosecutors countered by saying that they were not at all concerned about their ability to prove the case. And instead, the decision was based on multiple factors and still provided accountability, although with less severe sentencing. Now, Hop had also been charged with attempting to influence a public service, a felony and official misconduct and misdemeanor. Those charges were not included in the plea deal. This really sounds like he got off easy or at least is going to definitely get off very easy here. Despite the fact that we saw what he did was completely out of line, unnecessary and violated that woman's rights in every respect of the word. Kyla. Absolutely. Disgusting and terrible behavior that should make any fund and shield police. And let me just repeat the damage and harm is dementia. They fresh and dislocate her shoulders. She had a bloody nose, contusions on her knees, and a mental health deterioration. I ask everyone again, is that a system that you want to support? And it also just shows what kind of crime that this country takes seriously. When we see crime punished in this country, they always want to give the maximum sentences to show um, an example. But they don't do that with the police officers who time and time again um, do criminal activity that harm and even kill people in this country. It's a shame and I'm very disappointed at the judge and the DA for the decisions that they made. Absolutely, that woman was clearly struggling from something that is completely obvious in her demeanor. Also, everyone knew in that community that there was an adult living facility for individuals who have certain issues and disabilities and struggles. And so the fact that that officer would have approached this woman the way he did, it just it really shows that he abused his power here. And then also seeing him try to essentially manipulate the system and now to be the beneficiary of a plea deal. It just, it really speaks to how broken our system is. And it really does tell us, as you noted, Kyla, essentially who really gets the punishment and who gets the breaks here. When we're also looking at things when it comes to punishment and breaks, it's definitely at a lighter level. But I think that there are some young minds out there who will be feeling it. So over in Berkeley, a number of a young accomplished individuals, well, they're gonna be extremely disappointed this spring. Because essentially UC Berkeley is going to have to 
withdraw a number of students, gonna have to remove their acceptances, all because of a number of wealthy Karens who filed a lawsuit. And as a result, UC Berkeley ended up losing its appeal before the California Supreme Court. Let's go ahead and dive into that case. So. The decision is the result of a protracted legal battle between residents of Berkeley and the university that has played out over the last few years. And a move that the Atlantic has deemed the apothesis of nimbyism, which is not in my backyard. A neighborhood group called Save Berkeley's Neighborhood filed a lawsuit challenging the university's plan to build new housing and academic space for Berkeley faculty and graduate students. And arguments say Berkeley's neighborhood neighborhoods invoke the California Environmental Quality Act. That's a law often used by homeowners to block new housing and homeless shelters and ironically stem developments that would help the state reduce its carbon footprint. Now it's essentially reported that the Berkeley homeowner who really got this thing started in terms of the lawsuit actually spends half of his time living in New Zealand and not in the Berkeley area. And of course, he ends up using this California environmental law that was passed by Ronald Reagan, despite the fact that it's clear that there's no real environmental issue here that is within the framework of the law. So essentially found that loophole. But it was essentially stated initially that Berkeley would have to bounce some five thousand students from enrollment potentially. But fortunately now Berkeley has found other ways to make it work. So essentially what we know is that to soften the blow of the enrollment freeze, UC Berkeley said at least 1500 undergrads will be offered one of two options. One group will be asked to study as online students in the fall and will then be allowed to attend in person in January 2023. And a second group will be offered deferred enrollment to begin attending in person in January 2023. And save Berkeley's neighborhood. Well, they said on Thursday that while it was pleased that the state Supreme Court had maintained enforcement of the enrollment freeze, we'd like to assure deserving California high school students that we are as disappointed as they are that UC has tried to use them as pawns in UC's attempt to avoid mitigating the impacts from the massive enrollment increases over the past few years. Indeed, that this is an issue that was essentially sparked in part. Also, Berkeley is somewhat to blame. And so let's talk about what that looks like. So Phil Bakavoy, that's the group's president. They said that since 2005, UC Berkeley's admitted 14,000 students, but provided only 1600 beds. So essentially, he said this has prompted students to seek housing in Berkeley's neighborhoods where they've been moved into apartments that were once rent controlled, displacing low income and middle income residents. He said the housing shortage has created a massive amount of homelessness in Berkeley. And the resident group said that it was trying to avoid a housing crisis like the one at UC Santa Barbara where students have had to sleep in cars and hotels. And the thing that this really kind of hits me is the fact is that you know who is really affected the most by this, who can't just go up and afford housing in the very wealthy and expensive areas in Berkeley. Generally, they are marginalized students and students who are brown and black from different backgrounds. And so as a result, it was these individuals who found themselves living in various places in the Berkeley area as a result of this housing shortage. But you know, again, now Berkeley is going to make some kind of accommodation as opposed to simply kicking those students out of school. Kyla. I also want to give a nuanced response to this because I haven't seen much coverage on how students have been feeling about this decision and I want to give a voice to that. One of my friends and colleagues, Ethan Weberstein, who's a student at UC Davis and a member of the student governor, um, government have spoke at length about this. First and foremost, 
students are, of course, frustrated at these NIMBYs who are taking advantage of well-meaning environmental laws to push their own agendas. It is fueled by greed and entitlement. Students are also frustrated with the universities of California because if they are serious about providing quality education, that includes ensuring students have access to affordable housing. This has been an issue for decades. And if they haven't addressed this, and if they had addressed this before, we wouldn't see a ruling like this today of these NIMBYs taking advantage of these laws and taxing, of course, like you said before, students of color, black and brown students. And so this ruling has a potential to impact thousands of students in California and across the country. And I hope this is a wake up call for all college administrators everywhere. That affordable housing is a necessary component in education. Absolutely, thank you so much for bringing that voice because we do need to hear it. And you know, as someone who was a member of the UC CSU system here in California, I can tell you it's essentially one of these West Coast Ivies. It's a way that you can afford going to school in this California state school system. And that is opportunity there. But the fact is, as Kyla has pointed out, if you don't provide housing, then how is a student going to excel in their studies if they're worried about where they're gonna lay their head. You can't necessarily just be taking money from students and not be providing them with opportunities to also live. Because we also do know, despite the fact that this is a state school system, it still enjoys the revenue source that is the education college system. So we definitely need these administrators to step up. And also, as Kyla mentioned, we have to hold accountable these NIMBYs and individuals who essentially are just trying to keep black and brown people out of their neighborhoods and are willing to use any kind of state law or resources available to make that happen. We'll be back very soon. It's Adrian Lawrence for TYT Indisputable filling in for Dr. Richie. And I need to know, are you guys watching the watch list? Because you should be, that's with J.R. Jackson, it's live weekdays. 12 Eastern, 9 Pacific. Find out what stories you should be paying attention to in news, politics, culture, current events, sports, and more. This is a 10 week series, so go ahead and show some love for JR. Hit it up, youtube.com slash watchlisttyt and facebook.com slash watchlisttyt. Also, Aspiration has a first ever credit card that gives users the ability to eliminate their carbon footprint. Each time the card swipe, Aspiration's goals, reforestation partners with Plant well plant a tree. That's a good thing. I can dig it. Go to tyt.com slash zero. Also, there's a new podcast coming to TYT on Monday, March 7th. That's right. Here are a few clues. This person has been a guest on Indisputable, and her show features other progressive comedians, experts, and activists. Do you think you know who it is? Please do let us know in the comments. Also coming up, it's Ben Carollo's brain is out of this world. So make sure to join her today on Galaxy Brain as she talks through important stories of the day. Tune in to twitch.tv slash TYT after Indisputable at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific. So many great things going on. Also, gosh, let's hear what you all have to say. I like this. Oh Yeah, so as far as the ex cop who was cleared in the shooting during Breonna Taylor's raid. Let's see, this is Beer Dragon says doing his job as a badge murderer. Yeah, there, fixed it for him. There you go, Mickey C the silver haired dragon, he thought didn't know. He fired 10 bullets because of what he thought, but couldn't confirm. How many times have we seen cops shoot first, ask questions later? That's a really good question. Yeah, all right, so about the cop who broke the arm of the dementia patient. 
Greyhound Dragon says, what about the other cops who are laughing and rewatching the video and fist bumping? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I would like to think they are just as responsible for the nonsense as he is, exactly. Craig Perry Souffle, what garbage bags with badges? Imploded Brainy, when a cop or any public servant has committed a criminal act, they should be held to higher standards and get stiffer sentences than civilians. I couldn't agree more. It's like you're the one who's supposed to be enforcing the law. You have a higher obligation. So yes, agreed. Oh. All right, so also about that ex-cop who was cleared, YouTube super chat, James Dion says, shake my head. They charged that the person who missed her, shake my head, think about it. Yep, in terms of the one who missed hitting Brianna Taylor. Yeah, and sweet peas, thanks for the $10 contribution. The only thing police seem to be good at is getting it wrong. So if that's the job description, he was only just doing his job. Yeah, and the cop who broke the arm on YouTube Super Chat, Tracy Ravenhawk said broke her arm. Bad Brad, neither one of them has enough common sense to see that something could be wrong. Yeah, it's good, good point. And UC Berkeley freezing enrollment, well, uh, let's see, on and on it goes, aka Shade Dragon. I've been a student sleeping outside before, that's right, yeah. And these colleges do this on purpose, said Prince of Judah 79, good point. Mitchell Evans, this is nuts. Don't enroll students unless you have housing to provide. Yeah, but they'll take our money. And also, so do Karens. Let's go ahead and go to our Karen. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're gonna feel great, back off! I said, there's an African American man threatening my life. She did not change her clothes. So yeah, these people is real, really something special. So that was a Burlington Coat Factory employee. Yeah, that's the Karen who essentially gave this mother a hard time for essentially allowing her daughter to try on a pair of pants over her leggings. Yeah, I wear leggings regularly. They're nice, they're comfortable, they're easy, and they are pants. And so to have this young lady essentially make it easy on herself by just pulling some pants to try on over her leggings. It seemed very, you know, efficient, but apparently it was something that was inappropriate for this employee, Karen. Uh, Kyla, what are your thoughts? 
Well, first, we usually see these stories from the other side from this perspective of workers. But I guess since Karen has some time today, there definitely needs to be a standard for how we interact and treat our service workers with patience and respect. But that standard should be a two-way street. And Miss Karen was totally out of line. I hope that mother calls corporate. I hope that Karen is fired the way that she not only talked to that woman, but just overall treated her. And hopefully she learns her lessons and learns to treat people with a little bit more respect. Absolutely. Like this was a situation where it's like, of course, yeah, I would call corporate too. Are you out? Out your mind. Number one, you're gonna come at my kid for trying on clothes. And this thought that her leggings in some way make her sexually suggestive to the men in the store. No, the issue is with the men if they're gonna look at this girl and all of a sudden become aroused. That's a them issue, that's not a her issue. And so it's like, I think it's interesting when people try to tell other people how to parent, but also when they just act a fool. And I really hope that this Burlington employee was checked one or two times for trying to parent that girl's mother. No, nope. and there are other people out there who do need some parenting. One particularly in Florida, essentially the Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ledapo, well, made claims on Thursday that masks didn't save lives during the COVID-19 pandemic and criticized doctors who recommended or mandated wearing masks. Watch this. And it's still happening where people are still holding up the illusion that these things save lives. These things are not saving lives. What saves lives, frankly, is freedom to speak and freedom to find truth. What saves lives is immunity. You know? Yeah. Immunity, that's cute. Anyway, so essentially following that statement, Ladapa went on to criticize the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for using what he called lower quality studies for its data. He then inferred doctors and other researchers who found the usefulness of masks must have been taken over by zombies or something. Ladapo didn't endorse or mention vaccines when he then spoke of what saves lives during the pandemic. Interestingly enough, as we're seeing Ladapo attack mass just after Ron DeSantis, the governor there in Florida, told those young people during that press conference to essentially take off their masks. So we can assume this is a nice little PR angle. But in terms of the reliable research, so Ladapo claims that studies have found no benefit to mass, that they've been essentially proven wrong in repeated studies, including ones by the CDC, proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States, Stanford University, Yale, University of Cincinnati, British Medical Journey, University of Central Florida, so on and so forth. Apparently, they're the ones who got it wrong and Ladapo knows it all. Well, members of the Committee to Protect Healthcare took aim at what they called disinformation from the Florida Surgeon General. Governor Ron DeSantis and his administration continue to wage an unnecessary war on information that can save lives. And every Floridian should be deeply concerned about the governor's refusal to protect health by applying evidence-based medicine. The goal of every physician should be to protect the lay public from life-threatening coronavirus infection by providing them with accurate, reliable information and encouraging everyone to do the same. All physicians should obey the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm said by Dr. Frederick Southwick, a Gainesville infectious disease specialist. Now, Ladapo has also previously refused to wear a mask in October while meeting with a Florida Democratic lawmaker who had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Essentially saying that he didn't 
consider speaking with a mask on to be quote unquote productive. Kyla, what do you think is most productive? Honestly, it's it's baffling to me um, that I have to like speak about stupid people <laughs> because we have over a hundred thousand cases per day in the United States. On daily, Florida, um, 176 Floridans are dying from COVID each and every day. And they have the nerve to say that masks don't work or they're not effective. And honestly, I'm not surprised that this gentleman is coming out saying these type of things when the Florida's own governor is chastising and intimidating children for wearing their masks, protecting themselves and their families. Highly disappointing to see that after two years of being in this pandemic that we still have elected leaders acting this way. Yes, it's because of people like Ladapo and Governor Ron DeSantis, the reason that our nation is so fractured. The fact is we have these disinformation, misinformation campaigns going on and we've seen so many people die unnecessarily and needlessly. And to say that masks play no role, get out of here. I can anecdotally speak from my own experience that I haven't even gotten the common cold during this entire pandemic. In part, not only just because you know I keep my distance from most people, now, but also I wear a mask when I engage and encounter people. It's like you can't tell me just by virtue of the fact that people aren't as out here slobbering their nastiness because it's blocked by a mask that it's not in any way beneficial for our society amidst a pandemic. But I guess when it comes to Florida, it's a whole different set of rules for their leadership there. And as a result, we should all be the ones following it. Any final words, Kyla? Um, just that the conservative contradictions of people like Ron DeSantis and other anti-vaxxers really show us who they are and what they believe, which is absolutely nothing. The whole anti-vax movement was about freedom of choice, quote unquote. That's ironic in itself, in of itself. but um, I just don't understand that DeSantis would use, again, use his position to continue to push out misinformation that, again, results in people losing their lives. Yep, very well said. All right, let's go ahead and go to break, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable, it's Adrian Lawrence. Let's see what y'all got to say out there on the web. So. TYT members at TYT.com, Mickey the Silverhaired Dragon, as far as that Karen goes, says, if I'm understanding the issue, I believe that the mother was in the right. If the girl was wearing leggings and a sweater, then she was not exposing herself. People wearing leggings all the time and there's nothing wrong with her. Couldn't agree more. I don't know why that Burlington employee was so invested in thinking that young lady was nude. <sighs> also, the YouTube Super Chat says, what in the mayonnaise is going on? Yeah, that was a good question. Uh, Karen on Karen violence uh, by May Money in the building and EEGGG, -E -E our customers are gross and creepy. Yeah, that's actually a really good observation for that Burlington employee essentially saying that there were skeezy men around there. Also, the unicorn dragon on Twitch says, mind your business? Yeah, for real. Also, Granny Dragon One, not any difference than trying on shoes with socks on. Good point. That would seem to be it. As far as the Florida Surgeon General on Twitch, Robo Blake says, "Why do you think they wear masks in surgery rooms?" You know what? I, I just I know this person is supposed to be an MD, but I think they may have missed a few days in med school. Also, on YouTube super chat, Sandy L says, "Don't even call him a doctor. He needs his license revoked. He needs something." David Phil. 
Thanks for the 999 contribution. Says Florida's war on science is unbelievable. It's the Wild West. And I bet their Surgeon General would call for laudanum and hacksaw if he had to do surgery. I love that. That old bring him back of laudanum. Yes, I think that that could possibly be it. Oh, lots of problems out there, including one somewhere in Washington at the Supreme Court. So essentially, the court ruled on Thursday that the federal government can block former government contractors from testifying about the torture of a post 9-11 detainee. The decision likely will make it harder for victims to essentially expose secret government misconduct for the future. And this particular individual here is the one who had appealed this is photo. His name is Abu Zabudaye. Now, he was the first prisoner held by the CIA to undergo what at the time was euphemistically called enhanced interrogation. Let's go ahead and turn to what Nina Totenberg of NPR said. So essentially during one 20 day period, this man was waterboarded 83 times, 24 hours a day. And during that period, the suspected terrorist was also slammed against walls, put in a coffin-like box for hours at a time to stimulate live burial. And subjected to something the government called rectal rehydration. In the end, the two CIA contractors who supervised Zabadai's interrogation concluded that they had the wrong man. He was not a high-level Al-Qaeda operative as the CIA had thought, indeed that they essentially terrorized this man and they had the wrong person. And I am without a doubt butchering his name, but can you believe this? And so now in trying to get that information, the Supreme Court is essentially saying no. We are going to block it from public disclosure. But when we talk about public disclosure here, we need to bear in mind that Essentially, as Nina Totenberg has written, all of this has been publicly documented by a lengthy Senate Intelligence Committee report, the European Court of Human Rights, widespread press reports, and disclosures by the two CIA contractors who supervised to torture. In fact, the CIA did allow the now former contractors to write and speak extensively and even testify in limited circumstances about the enhanced interrogation program. But when his lawyer subpoenaed them, the US government blocked the move by invoking the so-called state secrets privilege, a doctrine created by the Supreme Court in 1953 that allows the government to shield evidence harmful to national security. In this case, both the Trump and Biden administrations argued that even though the information about the torture programs is widely known, confirming the existence of CIA black sites. Yeah, this is it. In Poland, that essentially would jeopardize the US government's relationship with foreign intelligence services. So the Supreme Court ruled as the majority said in seven to two, it was a very fractured opinion. But essentially it had four different separate opinions on the majority side and a furious dissent. And I know that you know Sotomayor was likely a part of that dissent. But also we have to bear in mind that the outgoing justice Breyer wrote the opinion. And so when he wrote the majority decision, he set out narrow grounds for siding with the government. But he added, we do not decide here whether a different request fired or filed by I might avoid the pitfalls of this particular case. Indeed, at oral argument, the government refused to say whether it would allow the appellant to now, now detained at Guantanamo Bay to testify himself about his interrogation. Only Chief Justice Roberts joined Breyer's opinion in its entirety. 
Justice Clarence Thomas agreed only on the end result and refuted the idea that judges should play any role in reviewing secret material. Kavanaugh and Barrett also filed a separate concurring opinion and Kagan wrote that she largely agreed with Breyer's analysis. She would not have dismissed the case, but would have allowed the lower court to see if there were other ways of avoiding disclosure of secret material. Now Gorsuch was pretty pissed. In an angry dissent joined by liberal justice Sonia Sotomayor, he emphasized a long history of the government invoking national security to shroud major abuses. Here, the government really wants to avoid further embarrassment for past misdeeds, Gorsuch concluded. But as embarrassing as these facts may be, there is no state secret here. This court's duty is to, to the rule of law and the search for truth. We should not let shame obscure our vision. Now this man at the center of Thursday's case, he has been in custody now for nearly 20 years. Nearly 20 years. And we have to bear in mind that he's just looking for information that's been provided everywhere else to be provided directly from the government itself. Now, since 2006, he's been at the US base at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba and he remains there despite having been cleared for release. There are just 39 prisoners left at Guantanamo where the price tag is 13 million a year for each prisoner. 20 have been cleared for release, 12 have been charged in 9-11 related cases and the remainder have not been charged but are considered too dangerous to release. This seems like, it just seems like it really, it makes this look really bad. The fact is that the Supreme Court couldn't even get it together to acknowledge the fact that this information is out there already. It's been provided by many different sources. There have been books written about it, there have been movies on it. But the government is still trying to claim that there are state secrets. Kyla? I think it's really important to contextualize this case with recent national events. The United States government has taken the moral high ground in the Ukrainian-Russian war and has continually condemned Russia for practices such as the military imperialism and torture of prisoners. Yet these are the same tactics the US continues to take part in and cover up. Hypocrisy aside, it also raises the question of torture do they deem acceptable. And no surprise, it's a continued torture and subjugation of black and brown people. I just wanna be clear that both Russia and the United States governments are rife with corruption and federally and internationally approved um, violence. I condone, I condemn both of them for it. And I hope that the victims of each nation will receive justice for their treatment. I hope that the two justices who ruled against the um, um, trying to cover all this up um, continue to advocate for changes within our justice system because again, this is, completely deplorable. I am um, definitely ashamed that our country has taken this stance. And I, my heart and condolences just go out to that man who was wrongly convicted and tortured. Yeah, well, not even convicted, he's just being held there and tortured. And the fact that they've identified that he, he wasn't essentially a, a spy in any way. And these things that they did to him, that, uh, that has to change your entire fabric and makeup as an individual. He was tortured for hours. Hours and hours upon a day. And the fact that all of the information's out there and it's been provided by numerous sources and is available from numerous sources, yet still the government is arguing, nope, state secrets. And also let's bear in mind that Gorsuch, conservative Gorsuch is on the side of saying, ah, nah, nah, this ain't right. It, come on. Mm -hmm. It's like the moral compass. Where is it when it comes to the court? It, you know, it really speaks 
to our level of willingness to conceal our misdeeds and our misconduct when it comes to engaging with individuals who are foreign nationals. It just, wow, it, it speaks volumes. Also, uh, what speaks volumes is the whole family values narrative uh, from the Republican Party. And we recently saw this blow up earlier this week when a Republican member of Congress decided to end his reelection bid. Uh, essentially, when he was forced uh, to admit that he had an affair right at the 11th hour of his runoff election. And it wasn't just any affair, bear in mind. This gentleman here, US Representative Van Taylor, a Republican from Plano, Texas, who also happened to be the author of Texas's bathroom bill and has known as a track record of having very, very big anti-LGBTQIA plus stance. Well, he made the stunning announcement on Wednesday, hours after he finished his five-way primary with 49% of the vote, just missing the cutoff for winning the Republican primary outright. And the day before the primary, well, that conservative outlet Breitbart posted news of Taylor having a months long affair with this Plano woman, Tanya Joya. And also there's the thought that he paid her $5,000 to keep it quiet. Well, that ain't enough money for me to keep quiet. It wasn't for her, that's for sure. The 38 year old said she fell in love with Taylor while working on a re-education program for former extremists. Something she knew quite a bit about because Joya, well, she dreamed of being a suicide bomber. She's a former jihadist, but she also abandoned Muslim after being taken to Syria by her Texas Muslim husband, John Georgialis, who said, you know, is said to have killed, been killed in 2017, and allegedly was the head of an Islamic state. Indeed, this woman here, the former jihadist, well, she had that relationship with Van Taylor, who is married, a veteran, and also has three daughters. Well, Burma, who commented on the affair, said, how does that differ to how her first husband treated her in terms of her relationship with Taylor? They both manipulated her to get what they wanted, and that's probably being a little unkind to terrorists. He was a teenage ideologue radicalized into fighting for ISIS, whereas Van Taylor is a Harvard educated US congressman. He is the one who should have known better. Taylor issued an apology for the affair saying about a year ago, I made a horrible mistake that has caused deep hurt and pain among those I love in this world. Taylor wrote in an email to supporters, I had an affair, it was wrong and it was the greatest failure of my life. And I want to apologize for the pain I've caused with my indiscretion, most of all my wife Anne and our three daughters. Wow, wow, I guess Taylor had a lapse in judgment for those nine months that he was sexing this woman, <sighs> Kyla. Honestly, again, just another family value Republican showing his smile in public and his behind in private. Honestly, America First should have an asterisk next to it in the case of extramarital affairs, out of state abortions, and attending white supremacist events. Um, truly disgusting behavior on his part, but again, I am not surprised. These people are full of contradictions, they're full of falsities, and um, yeah, I totally condone his behavior and I'm glad he dropped out. He does, definitely does not deserve to sit at any type of elected office. It's wild to me 
number one, that he maintained this affair with this former jihadist. But also that he is, like you said, out in these streets proclaiming family values and talking about people engaging in sexual behavior that he finds to be abominable and completely and totally disgusting. He's out here regulating people, impacting trans youth and trans lives with this horrid bathroom bill. And you know, behind closed doors, he is running amok. And the thought also of paying this woman $5,000, apparently helping her with her credit card bill. Come on, what's I gonna pay for her silence? $5,000, yeah, right, nobody got time for that. There's a reason that this woman ended up sharing the information she did with Breitbart, cuz I'm sure they paid her more. I just don't understand some of these men. Um, if you're gonna do some dirt, at least have the money to, <laughs> to pay for it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's like give somebody some real cash. Cuz this dude, Taylor, he got what he paid for, which was like a few months of silence until a better bidder came along. It's just, and and you know, I am also shocked that he did resign without being pushed out. You know, cuz he got, as you mentioned, or as I mentioned, 49% of the vote, and he needed 50% to get that Republican nomination. So he was right there. And, you know, his district really was pushing for him. And just for this information to come out now, of course, the day before his primary, and then he steps down so quickly. Wow, it makes me think that there's probably more information out there about him, given how these Republicans are willing to stay in office despite Mm -hmm. the worst of worst charges against them, or even just pending accusations against them. Any last words, Kyla? I hope he felt that it was all worth it. I'm sure he'll find something, that's for sure. Well, good luck to him and good luck to the GOP. Those were our stories of the day, we hope you enjoyed them. We definitely enjoyed having Kyla Frank, Unpack National Student Organizing Manager. Thanks so much for joining us, Kyla. Can you tell the viewers where they can find you and find more information about you? Most definitely, and thank you so much for having me on again. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at M-I-S-S-L-A underscore K-1. That's Missla underscore K-1. You can also follow um, my organization Unpack on Instagram, U-N underscore P-A-C. On Twitter, it's Let's Unpack, L-E-T-S-U-N-P-A-C. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, and I'm excited to be continuing to work with you, especially as you join us now as a contributor on Rebel HQ. So you all can definitely watch for Kyla there. You can also check me out with my segment Overruled. I'm gonna bring you some amazing stories this afternoon, by the way. You just wait and see.